Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. President Trump and Vice President Pence have my support, and America has our promise. We will build on the progress of our past and unlock the promise of our future. I would say that Nikki Haley, like many Republicans, expected one of two outcomes uh, on election day. She expected that either Trump was going to squeak by Joe Biden and win another four years and have an expiration date put on his presidency. That future starts when the American people re-elect President Donald Trump. Or he was going to get blown out and that he was going to lose in such humiliating fashion that his political brand would be in tatters and that under either of those scenarios, the the starting gun for 2024 was going to sound immediately after Election Day and that there would be a very clear path forward. And of course, what happened was sort of the worst case scenario. She is keenly aware of of Trump's dominance within the current GOP. This will be what Donald Trump is remembered for. And the fact that there are going to be dozens of Republican senators who, in all likelihood, vote to not hold Trump accountable for this is just stunning to me, and that will be their legacies. And she's not willing to throw her future away uh, by placing all of her bets on the idea that Trump is going to vanish and that he's now persona non grata in the party. She knows that that's not the case. Even though Trump is no longer president, loyalty to the leader remains strong. From the MAGA merchandise to all the maskless faces, Trump is the one these people listen to. But she also knows that she can't really look herself in the mirror if she just goes all in and places her bet on, you know, all Trump all the time. You know, Nikki Haley ultimately is torn between who she is and who she thinks she needs to be to become president. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Tim Alberta on former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley and the Donald Trump conundrum facing the GOP. I will not stop until we fight a man that chooses not to disavow the KKK. That is not a part of our party. That's not who we want as president. We will You know, Nikki Haley was, like so many Republicans, adamantly opposed to the candidacy of Donald Trump. And she was more vocal than most during his emergence as the Republican frontrunner, really going nuclear on him during the campaign, um, comparing him to, uh, you know, a, a misbehaving kindergartner. Donald Trump is everything I taught my children not to do in kindergarten. You know, really holding nothing back in telling Republican voters that he did not represent the Republican Party and that he must be defeated. I taught my two little ones, you don't lie and make things up. I taught my two little ones that you don't push people around and just tell them what you think should happen. And then you fast forward, of course, and uh, 
you know, she joins the administration and becomes ambassador to the United Nations and really strikes up what was described to me pretty universally as a warm relationship with President Trump. I know what the president wants. And so I really just stay very focused on my job, making sure we're communicating. And I think he just lets me do my job. And I'm so thankful that he is supportive because he really lets me do whatever I think is best. And what she was able to do, I think, more effectively than almost anyone else inside the administration was to sort of maneuver around Trump very delicately to to sort of keep enough of a distance from him and from some of his policies uh, to where she believed she would never be sort of ultimately branded with any scarlet letter uh, because of her time in the administration. So she was always walking this very fine line. Uh, she was known to be very direct with Trump and would be critical with him in private settings, but would never criticize him publicly, which was sort of her way of staying in his good graces. I can tell you I met with the president this morning for an hour. There were some things that he may have liked that I said and some things that he may not have liked what I said, but he asked me what my thoughts are and I tell him the truth, but I tell him in private. So this has been a real tightrope routine that, that Haley has walked since Trump won the presidency in 2016. And obviously those sorts of tightrope routines have proven unsustainable uh, for almost everyone who has attempted them. In the aftermath of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, we've seen that rope kind of become tighter and we've seen a split on both sides of it. Um, Most Republicans have condemned the violence but have avoided disavowing Trump. A smaller group of Republicans has. We're seeing a lot of that play out right now in Donald Trump's impeachment trial. Where has Nikki Haley been on all of this? If you tried to keep track, you would get a little bit of whiplash because Nikki Haley in the weeks leading up to January 6th was not completely silent because a couple of times when she did break her silence, uh, she refused to be critical of President Trump. And that includes conversation with me in mid-December after all 50 states had certified their results, after the you know court cases had all been settled, it was very clear that Trump had lost and that Biden was going to be the next president of the United States. And we went round and round for almost two hours, uh, Haley and I did, and she would not utter a negative word really about the president. And then you fast forward to January 6th and the events unfolding at the Capitol. And the next night, Nikki Haley flies to Florida to address the Republican National Committee's winter meeting. And she was very critical of the president and said that he would be judged harshly by history because of his actions since Election Day, which is, I think, the way that not very many people in that room felt, but that many objective observers of the previous 10 weeks had felt in evaluating the president's behavior and his rhetoric. And the question for me was, well, then why didn't she say that to me just a couple of weeks ago when we were together in South Carolina, you know, doing this interview? Why, why, why did it take an invasion of the U.S. Capitol for Nikki Haley to finally find her voice? And then, you know, five, six days later, I went down to South Carolina again. We sat down again, and Haley really unleashed on Trump and, and really um, was pretty remarkably critical in talking about his responsibility for the events of January 6th and how she believed that his political future had now disappeared and that the party was going to move on without him. And lo and behold, a couple of weeks after that interview that we did in South Carolina, she's on Fox News telling Laura Ingram that really we should just give Trump a break. And I think, you know, it's funny for everyone trying to determine where the party goes. 
we should not want to go back to the Republican Party before Trump. We gained a lot of people that were unheard, unseen, many of whom, like I grew up in South Carolina, had just been misunderstood. We want to keep them in the party. You know, I used the term whiplash earlier. It's been very difficult to try and track the sentiments of Nikki Haley over the past couple of months as it relates to Donald Trump and as it relates to the future of the Republican Party, because I don't think she really knows how this all unfolds. And she's tried to reconcile some of her strongly held gut feelings about all of this with a more sort of calculating political intuition about the realities of where the party goes from here. I guess we should pause here and address why we're talking about Nikki Haley, why you've been focusing on her. And that's because she is a pretty clear contender for the 2024 presidential election, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, Nikki Haley is going to run for president, uh, barring some sort of totally unforeseen dramatic development in her life. She is going to run for president and she's going to be viewed as a real top-tier viable contender for the Republican nomination. Um, she has an enormous amount of political talent, uh, and she has some smart people around her. Uh, she, she checks a lot of boxes. Uh, look, let's be honest, for a party that has struggled so mightily over decades with wooing minority voters and really over the past five years with suburban women voters, here comes Nikki Haley. The reality is we lost a lot of women and we lost a lot of college educated. We want to bring them in and we want to expand the tent. A suburban mom herself who has uh, a pretty unique gift for communicating to certain parts of the electorate that Republicans have been unable to reach. But the way we expand the tent is by going back to what has always made us the stronger party. So on paper, she makes a lot of sense as a candidate, but there are a lot of liabilities that, that Nikki Haley is going to have to deal with, not the least of which is her relationship with Trump and, and, and her inability to sort of find a consistent message and stick to it as it relates to this president and, and his presidency. And maybe that's sustainable. Maybe, maybe that's the smart political play. But what you see, Jeremy, are a lot of other Republicans choosing sides and, and, and believing very clearly that you can't be lukewarm on Trump, that you need to be all in or all out, but that this Republican Party, the way that it's shaping up, is going to demand a certain clarity and is not going to reward any sort of ambiguity from from anybody seeking to uh, take over the party moving forward. So would you say that the conundrum Nikki Haley is facing is representative of sort of the larger choice the GOP is confronted with and will be confronted with over the next couple years? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that's I think that's fair to say. And I think that, you know, look, she is in many ways uh, a special case because unlike Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley or Marco Rubio or some of these other characters, I think Nikki Haley actually does have living deep within her this uh, sort of very visceral reaction to the dark, ugly side of this Republican Party that has emerged over the last uh, four to five years. Uh, I think she feels just instinctively uncomfortable with it in a way that a lot of these other folks don't. And so, yes, whatever commentary Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz or some of these other folks, Rand Paul, Lindsey Graham, for whatever commentary they may have made about Trump back in the day, they have since not only walked it back, but they have since really accommodated themselves to the realities of the Trump 
Republican Party, and Nikki Haley has not. She's been very hesitant to do so. And there's times where she sort of takes a strong step in that direction, but there's other times where she takes a very strong step back in the other direction. So she is very conflicted. I can tell you that from my reporting. I can tell you that from, you know, six hours spent on the record talking with her. Uh, This is somebody who in some way, yes, does represent the tension within the Republican Party, but I think that she is really a unique and fascinating case in her own right. Tim Alberta, Thanks so much for talking with me. It's my pleasure. Also today, President Biden says his administration has finalized deals for an additional 200 million doses of coronavirus vaccines. During a visit to the National Institutes of Health on Thursday, Biden said the White House had made agreements for 100 million additional doses each from Moderna and Pfizer, boosting the country's supply to 600 million doses total. The administration says the new doses will be available by May rather than June, as originally predicted. That puts the country on track to vaccinate 300 million Americans by the end of July. And... The White House is expected to notify states today that it's planning to revoke Medicaid work requirements, kicking off the process of dismantling one of the Trump administration's signature health policies. According to internal documents obtained by Politico, the move is one of several steps that Biden's health department is expected to take this week to unravel the contentious work rules that have been criticized by Democrats as unlawful and aimed at kicking people off of the program's roles. The plan points to the coronavirus pandemic as the central reason for rolling back the work rules, arguing that the crisis has greatly increased the risk that the policy will lead to unintended coverage loss. The Politico Dispatch production team includes senior producer Jenny Ament and executive producer Irene Noguchi. And just a heads up, we're going to be away on Monday, but don't worry, we'll be back with a new episode in your feeds on Tuesday. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.